You're listening to audio from Calvary Gravenhurst in Muskoka, Ontario. For more resources or to connect with someone in the church, please visit calvarygravenhurst.com. This week's sermon is taught by lead pastor Benjamin Emery. Well, welcome everyone. It's great to be back with you. Hopefully be back in person in the next couple weeks. You can turn in your Bibles, if you haven't already, to Hebrews chapter 11, verses 13 to 16. And while you're turning there, if you haven't watched this week's episode of The Chosen, the uh, season two, episode four that came out, I highly recommend you do it. It was probably the best episode, I think, so far. They introduced Simon the Zealot, and he's not really a guy we talk about too much. He was one of the apostles uh, that you don't see too much of in the Bible. You know he's there. You know he's a zealot. Zealots were uh, Jewish assassins, and it really kind of gives an interesting like idea of what his backstory might have been. It also introduces uh, the healing of the paralytic at the Pool of Bethesda. So I highly recommend that you watch that if you haven't started watching The Chosen yet. Download the app. It's free and and get on it. It's good stuff. Let's just take a minute and pray before we get into God's word. Lord, thank you for your word. I cannot imagine what I would be like if I didn't have your word as a light unto my steps. I can't imagine what it would be like if your Holy Spirit wasn't changing me and working inside of me, Lord. I just thank you so much for for dying for us, for being our God, for being a personal God who wants to know us. And and Lord, Lord, I just can't believe it. And so God, as we talk about how to live in this time and this land we live in, Lord, open our hearts up and let us be a people who, who want to do things your way. And I can't change people's hearts, Lord. And just like I can't um, preach effectively, we need you to do it through us. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I've been thinking, and I think about it sometimes quite often, uh, but in the last little bit I've been thinking about it more as the, the time gets further away. Of the 14 years ago uh, when I came back from my last uh, tour in the Middle East. And, you know, in some ways it's been 14 years, and it seems like so long ago. So much stuff has changed since then. But as well, it seems like in some ways it was just in the last year that I got back. And, and I'm sure my family could probably tell you, and they, they see it, and, and, and they know it's always there, that, that reality, in some ways, a part of me is still over there. There's a part of me that will always be over there. Although I live here now, and my life is great, and I'm living life, there's a piece of me that, that changed over there. And, and soldiers would tell you that uh, combat soldiers, veterans would tell you that that is probably one of the hardest things about the war, the coming back. It's taking life hard. Yeah, for sure it's hard. And living with that, the faces, the looks, those things are things that never leave you. And sometimes they haunt your dreams. Is seeing your fellow soldiers, your friends' lives erased from this planet in violent and painful ways hard? Yeah, it's really hard. Uh, the smells and the, the screams. Uh, they're things that walk with you every day that you're alive. Yet, for many, uh, for myself, uh, for many that I talk to, the hardest uh, part 
is the what now. It's being like trapped between two different worlds, two very different places, two dramatically different lives. And and the thing that takes down a lot of soldiers after the war, after they return, is that, what do I do now? How do I live in this place when I used to live there? Like, think of it. Think of, think of it in this way. I grew up in Canada and, and, and was raised here in a free and rich and safe society. And, and, and that's the way I'm used to. That's, that's my life. And then, and then I can train and I can, I can do a bunch of training exercise. I can take courses. I can, I can learn about a different place. But, but then and not until I'm cast over there. And all, all of a sudden you get on a plane and you go over there and then you're there in a place uh, that is, is full of misery and, and death and, and poverty. And, and there is this period when you go from here to there that it takes to adjust, to adjust to this new world. Because in some ways, I'm, I'm still a citizen of Canada, and we have our laws, and we have our, our beliefs, and we have our, our ways of doing things. And, and so I'm still a representative of Canada, but now I'm in this other country with a totally different set of laws and beliefs and culture. And, and to add to that complexity, we have our own special set of rules while we're there, rules of engagement, they would call it. And it can be very confusing uh, and, and not so straightforward. And, and then you will spend six months, seven months, a year over there. And then one day you get on a plane and you fly back. And 30 hours later, you're here in Canada. And you get off the plane and you look around and you see all the people. And in some ways you feel like a foreigner in your own country. And that hurdle, that battle, is what takes soldiers down sometimes when they get back. The what now? How do I live in this place after living over there? There's a great scene that kind of, I think it articulates it well. And it's not from a war movie. It's actually from Narnia, the series. Uh, The specific one is Prince Caspian. And the movie did it well, the movie that came out, I think, 12 years ago. They really did it well, and it it gets me teary-eyed every time I see it. Um, They're leaving, the four uh, siblings are leaving Narnia, and they're stepping through a gate. And and they look back, and they see all the people uh, that they fought wars with um, and went through so much with. And then they step through this gate, which leads them back that God made. um, And they step back into their land, and all of a sudden, they're back in their country and they're in a subway and the people are going about their business and and they have no idea the things that these four siblings just went through and they all kind of look at each other and then one of them says do you think we'll ever go back and so as i was looking at this text in hebrews chapter 11 it came to realize that it's not only soldiers that go through that it's different But in some ways, it's the same. It's the same kind of feeling for the Christ follower, at least according to what the Bible says it should be. Let's read it. Let's read the first uh, two verses. Verse 13. And Hebrews chapter 11 starts out, and he starts out listing all the fathers of the faith and, and men and women that have gone on before them. It says, These all died in faith although they had not received the things that they were promised. But they saw them from a distance 
and greeted them and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on the earth. When you become a Christ follower, everything changes. Everything changes. There's no going back. What do I mean by that? Well, just like I said, I grew up in Canada, and then I left Canada and went to a, a foreign place, and then, and then I came back and, and was now living, having experienced that in this present land. And then you deal with, how do I live now? How do I live now? The same is for this world. We're born into this world. The Bible says we're born through a woman one time. And as Jesus was interacting with Nicodemus the other day, he says, then you're born again by the Spirit. And so you're born into this world. You grow up for a certain amount into this world because nobody is saved from a baby. They choose Christ. They choose to follow Christ. And then they're born again of the Spirit of Christ. And they go from just being citizens of this natural realm, the Bible calls it, to being citizens of this eternal realm. And we're caught in this sort of transitionary phase of life. Temporary residence on this earth. Foreigners in the land that we grew up in. And there's this period of adjusting to that. Uh, This period um, of adjusting that I had to go through when I went to the war and when I came back. And this period that Christians go through And it's really a a transition their whole life, but especially in the first couple of years where it's a whole new way of living. You no longer just live to build your own little kingdom on earth. You're now a part of something bigger. You're now a part of a war. Whereas you just walked in the darkness before, you didn't even know there was a war. Now you walk in the light and you see this battle between light and between darkness, between God and between Satan, between the flesh and the spirit. Galatians 5, 17 says, For the flesh desires what is against the spirit. And the spirit desires what is against the flesh. They are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want to do. So your whole life changes. Another way it changes is is you go from, uh, from living in objective truth to an absolute truth. What do I mean by that? Well, Jesus says it fairly straightforward. John 14, verse 6. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to me to the Father except through me. What does he mean by that? Well, the world, like I used to think, has something called objective truth. That's how it, how it lives, meaning like truth to you and truth to you might be different, and that's just fine. We can all sort of decide what is right and what is wrong, and there is no absolute truth, there is no absolute authority, and therefore we can kind of do what we want as long as it doesn't disrupt somebody else's life too much. And now people would tell Christians, you need to be more tolerant towards our beliefs until they don't want to be tolerant towards our beliefs. But that is the world we find ourselves in. But Jesus lays it out really clear. I am the way. Singular. It's not plural. I am not multiple ways. I am the way. I am the truth. And I am 
to life. And there's this adjustment period that we now find ourselves foreigners in this land and we're like, now I live by one truth. Now I don't get to pick and choose. I live God's way. Another way everything changes is we have this church family, this new church family. And, and depending on the, uh, the family you came from, that may be very dysfunctional, the thought of family, or it may be something good, right? You can move away from your family in this, in this world, and some people choose to. It's not always the best thing to do, but sometimes it is called for. But the Bible doesn't lay out a case for not being involved in your church family. And, and well, history proves that if you want to draw men and women into a deep, abiding relationship together, put them in a hostile land, and then they will grow, grow deeply and care for each other. That's why the church in foreign lands, in, in persecuted lands, is growing. And the church in lands where there really isn't too much hostility towards Christians is fizzling out. Because people think we don't really need each other. But the Bible lays out a very different case. As I was studying for this end times series, we'll hopefully be starting in a couple of weeks. I came across Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. And, and now you've probably heard this together, but, or, or often, but it's good to put it into context. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Paul says, Let us not neglect meeting together as some have made a habit. Let us encourage one another, and get this, this is the part, and all the more as we see the day approaching. What day is Paul talking about? Well, he's talking about the day. The day in Scripture is the day of the Lord, the day in which the Lord will come back a second time to gather the church. The day being that period in the tribulation days in the hard end time series. He's saying, essentially, don't stop getting together together, together, even though things are hard, even though you're being persecuted, and all the more so, like, keep doing it, but even more as you see that day approaching. And I think we can see that day approaching. If it was approaching then, it's definitely a lot closer now. It's good also, like sometimes when stuff is translated into uh, words that we, uh, in, in our century, in our context, want to understand, it's good to go back in the Greek and look at its original meaning. So if you, in our text here, when, he's, when the word is temporary residence on earth, temporary residence, if you go back and look at the Greek, what does it, it mean? Well, it original, its original meaning means exile or pilgrim. Those are words that people used back then. You were in exile, meaning you were exiled from your nation, or you were a pilgrim, meaning you're on your way to a, some sort of destination. And so that's what it's saying. You are now exiles or pilgrims. Pilgrims and exiles are always on the move. Uh, they, they have a destination. Sometimes they're moving very slowly, like they were uh, in, with Moses in the wilderness. Sometimes they would move probably a couple kilometers, set up their camp, then be there for a couple of weeks and then move a little bit more. But in some way, shape, or form, pilgrims and exiles are always moving on. They're not content with just setting up camp and staying there in the wilderness. They recognize that there is danger in the land and they want to get to that end place, that destination. 
And the thing with pilgrims and exiles, putting it into the context, is they never want to travel alone. They want other exiles and they want other pilgrims to be on that voyage with them because it's hard, it can be dangerous, and you need each other. That's why Paul says, encourage each other as you get together. And so that is the context to which we are called to live as pilgrims, as exiles, and we need each other. We need this church family. And so when I hear people say, I don't miss getting together with other Christians, I say, in all due respect, there's probably something wrong with your heart. And sometimes Christians are challenging to be around. I get it. Sometimes I'd rather be on a beach somewhere hot and warm than, than being around Christians. But you know what? I love my church family. I love being around followers of Christ, people who love him, who get it. You can look over as you go through the challenges of life and you're like, these people are with me. To put it in context, it's like the soldier being dropped into a war zone and saying, you know what? I think I just want to go it alone. I think I just want to fight this war alone. Maybe that's the way movies and video games portray it, but I don't think any combat soldiers would say, Veterans who have been there would say, I want to be in a war alone. No, they want, they desire other soldiers to be with. And I miss the men I served with. We're scattered throughout the country. There's there's not as many of us as, as in previous generations. And a minority are doing well. A majority are not doing so well. Some of them have taken their own lives and Some have had addictions take their lives. And I miss that deep relationship that we had over there where we were men from very different backgrounds, different ages, different cultures, different races. And yet we came together and and the war and the hardships forced us into this relationship where we actually learned to love each other. And, And... The only other thing I see is that the Bible, the only other place I see that is in the Bible, is that is what biblical Christianity is supposed to be like. And I desire that, I yearn for that. Deep, meaningful relationships with Christ followers. Not religious people, but Christ followers who are on this pilgrimage, who want to go out with me to get others to bring them on this pilgrimage. So it's not only this church family, it's not only uh, this uh, uh, absolute truth, but we also have to adapt to a different rule book, I guess you could say. Our minds need to be conformed. When we live in this foreign land, we no longer have the mind of this land. Our minds need to be changed, conformed in all areas. It's very different from the way this land says to live. So in, in money, in relationships, in sexuality, in the way we use our mouth, in the way we use our hands, everything needs to be adjusted. And there's this transition period where you go from just citizen of this natural realm to citizen of the eternal realm in this transition period where you are to bring all of those things into this new rule book. I remember I met with a young man and, we talked, and, and he's like, I don't get the big deal. I, I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. But I live with my girlfriend, and we sleep together. But we did it because, because financially we thought if we pool our resources, we'll be much better off. And I'm thinking, like, 
Yeah, I'm sure that was the number one factor to which you brought, to this, brought you to this decision for economic reasons. And so I'm, I'm like, have you read your Bible? And they ask that generally. Have you read your Bible? Yeah, I've read the Bible. When you read the Bible, when you read the words of, of Jesus and you read the words of the apostles, do you honestly think that God is fine with you just shacking up with your girlfriend? Do you honestly think that he's fine with you just sleeping with his daughter and not committing to her? And he's like, no, he's probably not. Yeah, he's not. And, and see, when, when you do that, every time you sleep with her, every time you have sex with her, what you're doing is you're taking Jesus off of the throne of your life and you're putting yourself and Satan on the throne. And that isn't the way he calls us to live. That's the way this land calls us to live, but it's not the way we live as foreigners in this land. Look at verse 14 of our main text. Now those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. Seeking a homeland. They make it clear. Do you get that? Do you see that? To identify as a Christian means you've made it. You're, it's evident in your life that you're seeking something else. That this world is not enough and therefore you have given your life to Christ and you are seeking something else. It's a clear action word. Seeking, action word. It's not a passive word. You're not just drifting, you're seeking. And the Christian life was designed by God to be something you're clearly doing. It's something you're actively pursuing. And it only really works one way. I was thinking about how to explain it. And a memory popped into my mind this past winter when Brenna, my youngest, she had a one-piece snowsuit. If you, you remember those little kid one-piece snowsuits. And she put it on somehow. She's very independent that she likes to, to do all these things alone. She put it on upside down and backwards. So like the feet were on her arms with the backside facing her and her legs were in the, the, in the, the arm sockets. And she was proud of herself and, and really wanted to wear it that way. But I'm, I'm just like, no, hun, this isn't the way it was made. And it doesn't really work that way. And that's kind of a, a f- an example of sometimes the way we try and live the Christian life or put the Christian life on. We put it on backwards and upside down and we're like, why doesn't this seem to be working? Because God made it to fit and work one way, his way. That's what we see in the, the book of Acts. There's, there's this clear decision that the men and women make because they're getting dragged in front of the courts and the religious leaders and they're getting persecuted and, and they're saying, shut up and stop preaching this Jesus. And they're like, no, we've made up our minds. We're going to go this way regardless of what you do to us. I want Christ. I'm seeking something greater than you in this world have to give. And that is what it means to live by faith, really. The difference between living by religion and living by faith are are two very different things. And, And so Hebrews chapter 11 starts out talking just about that before we got into verse 13 where we started. Let's look at it. Look at verse 1. Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, 
the proof of what is not seen. For this is how our ancestors were approved. By who? By God. Look at verse 4. Abel's proof, the proof of his faith, was that he brought his best offering. And, and when you bring your best offering, whether it be your time, talents, your treasures to God, what you're saying is, God, I believe you are better. What, if I give you my best, God, I'm by faith believing that you will give me your best. Look at verse 7. The proof of Noah's faith was that he lived... Not according to the way the culture and the land told him, but according to the way God had told him. His, his, proof, his faith was proven that he built the ark that God told him to build and that he got into it when God told him to get into it. Verse 8, Abraham's proof of his faith was that he left the land that he had grown up and went to a foreign land where he didn't know anyone and he didn't know and he went on a promise that God said your distant, distant relatives will someday control this land. It will be a nation. And so go. And he went and he lived until he died in that foreign land. And so it is nearly impossible to live the Christian life unless you're clear with yourself and you're clear with others. That this is the way I'm going. And this is what I'm seeking. And yet... It's, it's not always that easy, is it? If, it? if it was that easy, then then we would all just breeze through it. There is this tension, this tension that we're in this foreign land and, and God tells us not to live by the way this land lives, but then he also tells us to get along with the people that the best we can and, and, and live in such a way that's going to bring them to him. And we see that tension throughout the scriptures. Turn to Romans chapter 12, verse 9. And Paul's going to talk about that tension there and, and how to do it. Verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. Detest evil. Cling to what is good. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Take the lead in honoring one another. Do not lack diligence in your zeal. Be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints in, in their needs. Pursue hospitality. Bless those who are persecuted among you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who reap. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimate. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Give yourself to what is honorable in everyone's eyes. And if possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Did you see how Paul's laying out there? He's like, he's like give yourself to this, give yourself to this. Get away from that. Don't repay evil with evil. Don't be like the culture, but... Honor everyone, and to the best of your abilities, without compromising what God has told you to do, live at peace with everyone. That's that tension. And there's extremes, right? Sometimes we can just give ourselves over to the world. And sometimes we can, like, totally cut ourselves off from the world, be like, like say, the way the Mennonites live or the way Orthodox Jews live, where you're like, you're like your own little culture and your own little community. You, haven't, you shut the rest of the world out. Neither of those are the way... God has told us to live. And as you're on this pilgrimage, Satan, the flesh, the world, is going to try and get you to set up a permanent residence. 
it's going to try and entice you. That's how Satan, that's how the flesh gets us a Christian on the shelf. To whereas they're not really moving forward. They're just living amongst the land. And they put their Christian flag up, but, but really, God never told them to stop. If you've ever heard the story of Balaam, he's an interesting guy. And, and if you've been doing the Bible reading plan, you would have read that in Numbers 22 last week. And if you're behind, keep going. I'm a little behind. I'm like a week behind everyone else. But keep going and you're going to come to it. Numbers 22, it's the story of Balaam. And it's a really awesome story. It's where God speaks through a donkey to a man. And now that's one of those stories people sometimes say, Ah, oh, Ben, do you really believe that happened? Like God spoke through a donkey. And I'm like, I 100% believe it. Because if God can speak through me, God has no problem speaking through a donkey. And and the story is, the Israelites are are exiles. They're on their way. They're in the wilderness being led by Moses to the promised land. They've come out of captivity, and they're heading towards the promised land. And some kings get together, and they're like, these people are powerful. They're winning in battles. And they call Balaam, who's a prophet of God, living in the land. And they say, how do we beat these people? Curse, get your God to curse them. And he goes and he, and he looks and God says, not those people. Those people are my people. And Balaam goes back to the kings and he says, can't be done. God will not curse them. And they offer him a bunch of cash and they entice Balaam. They say, come on, there's got to be a way. And he's like, ah, there's a way. What you've got to do, okay, is you've got to send all your best looking women all the most promiscuous women. Send them over and and lure the men. They're not supposed to to marry the women of this land. They're not supposed to stop and and have children in this land. They're supposed to keep moving. But if you can get them to stop, if you can get them uh, enticed with with all the the things of this culture and all the best you have to offer, then, then you'll beat them. Because essentially they're abandoning God for the land. And they do do it for a while. And then God has to deal with them. And so don't be enticed and and set up a permanent home in the land. Verse 15. If they were thinking about where they had come from, they would have had the opportunity to return. But they now desire a better place, a heavenly one. Another key to living well as a pilgrim in a foreign land is that you're going to be tempted to look back where you came from and look at the things you used to be involved in. And I think we've all felt that temptation. Ah, this is hard being a follower of Christ and I remember the things I used to do. And if you're saying, I never had that problem, well, you're probably lying because Satan is always tempting us. Oh, I remember you never should have, you never should have done that. You never, you should have just stayed where you were. And Paul's telling us, listen, if they were always thinking about where they'd come from, then they would have probably gone back. But they now desired a better, a better place. And that's the thing with the Christian life. Sometimes people try it out. They'll, they'll try it out for a month and they'll be like, it's not working. And, or they'll try it like 50%, like the snowsuit. They'll put it upside down backwards and like, it's not working. I want to go back. But this is the way the Christian life works. This is the way God has said it. Intentional, uh, intentional 
uh, living out, pursuing Christ over a period of time, over a long period of time, produces good fruits. And I can really see that. I can see it in marriage. Having done things the opposite way, the way of the world, it didn't work out. It didn't work out well ever. And we can see it's not working out in our culture. And yet sometimes we as Christians are like, I think I can make it work. I think I can take the world's way and sort of Christianize it and, and make it work. But it never works. But I can see it in my marriage now. Like, considering Rebecca and I have almost eight years, and where we came from and, and, and the challenges that we started with, like, and th- this is the way it works when two people are not like, you're the problem, you're the problem. But it's like, okay, God, I know I'm part of the problem, so change me. And when two people are doing that, guess what? You start to see the fruits of God working in your marriage into where we are now. And I'm like, man, I was laying in, in bed the other day and, and, and I couldn't sleep. And I, was just, I, and I looked at her and I was like, I love this woman. Like, we're totally opposite. But Christ is making us into something wonderful, like a great marriage. It's a better way. I see it with my oldest son now. As he is now almost 16 and he's, he's making this faith his own and he's wrestling with big stuff and we're, we're talking about it and, and we're, we're working out this faith that's no longer mine, but he's starting to own it. And I'm like, we have a great relationship. Like, it's a better way. God's way is a better way. And you're not gonna know it until you stop looking back and start focusing on the forward. Back to the text. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them, a, he has prepared a city for them. God is not ashamed. Have you ever seen somebody flip out, like a grown adult flip out, like have a temper tantrum? I can remember being in a church, won't say where, and there's lots of people around, and this woman just flipped out. Like a grown woman, she just flipped out and started yelling at another at another woman, and and like she was like a child. And I'm like, whoa! And everyone was like, whoa! Right? And and the husband later, you guys don't know them, so don't be trying to guess who they are. Uh, but the, later, the husband's like, I'm so sorry to to a bunch of you. I'm so sorry. I'm so ashamed of the way my wife was acting. Right, because she's a grown adult, and she probably shouldn't flip out like a child, right? And and so I think sometimes, like sometimes, I'm sure God's ashamed with some of the ways that we, His children, act. Like when we Christ mature, Christ followers, flip out and and act in a way that's totally contrary to the way we know we're supposed to act. I'm sure there's some shame, but the great news is He's a God who's willing to forgive and move forward when we humble ourselves. But isn't it great to know that he has prepared a city for us? Isn't that awesome to know? Some days when this life gets hard and, and we don't know what's coming down the, the road, I can only imagine what it's like to be a Christian in other countries. A Christian in India, I think about this often. Like, by 2025, you are no longer to be allowed to be a Christian. How do you, what's the option? You're either a secret Christian you die or you turn away from Christ. Like that's the only options the government has left for them. And there's more of them than there is our whole population, Christians in India than our whole population here in Canada. 
What's going to get them through? They know there's a place prepared for them. There's going to be a homecoming. And it's a good reminder for us that, that this life isn't the only one. There's a great story of a missionary I read. His name's Henry C. Morrison uh, back in the early 20th century. And he served in Africa for 40 years straight. Didn't come back. This was back in the old days when there was no planes. 40 years in Africa. And, and he writes in his in, uh, missionary book, the emotional day when he and his wife boarded the ship on their way back to the U.S. after 40 years as a missionary in northern India or northern Africa. His mind was flooded with memories of wonderful experiences that he enjoyed on the mission field. And he began wondering what it would be like to return to Midwestern uh, U.S. to his hometown. Will anyone even remember us, he thought. Aboard the ship that day was Henry, with Henry and his wife, was former president of the United States, Teddy Roosevelt. He was returning from a big game hunting trip in Africa. When the ship pulled into the New York Harbor, there were thousands and thousands of people there to greet him. The crowds cheered and the bands played. There were signs and banners and billboards everywhere saying, Welcome home! As the missionary and his wife left the ship, they realized that none of those people were there to greet them. In fact, no one had come to welcome them home. With a heavy heart, Henry went back to his hotel room with his wife, and he told his wife, Honey, for 40 years we poured ourselves out into ministry, into service, and yet we come back to America and not a single soul comes to welcome us home. His wife came and sat beside her husband. She put her arm on his shoulder, and she said, Henry, have you forgotten something? You're not home yet. When we feel like our work and our lives for Christ is overlooked, we have to remember we're not home yet. Maybe you spend long hours looking after kids each day or you have some mundane work job and you're doing your best for the Lord. You're moving forward. You're not setting up camp. You're not building an empire for yourself. Keep serving your Savior faithfully. He will reward you for your labors. For those Christians that are listening right now, and, and you realize, you know what, I'm really not on a pilgrimage. I've more like set up a permanent camp. And I'm, I'm more, I've got a flag up, but I'm not really on the way. I'm really not walking with other Christians. I'm, I'm really not doing the kingdom work. I'd encourage you, don't do that. Pick up your camp, move forward a little bit each day. Be involved with other Christians. Be in the ministry. Do what you can do. That's different for everyone. And then to those of you that are living lives as foreigners in this world, there are some of you, you do so much. You're always pouring out for other people, always giving yourselves to other people. And so many people, whether it be non-Christians or Christians, you give, you give, you give. They take, they take, they take, and you don't get much back. There's hardly ever a thank you, and it's, what are you going to do for us next? And you don't see them passing on to others, and the land is hostile. 
and you constantly feel like you're swimming against the stream. And while others are storing up treasures for yourself, you're st- on this earth, you're storing up treasures for yourself in a place that you don't get to see them. To you, faithful pilgrim, I say don't give up. Paul says, let us not grow tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Galatians 6, 9. We may not die famous. Our funeral may be very small. And a generation or two after we die, nobody might will probably remember us. But that day, when we step into eternity, that day, everything that we sacrifice for, all the hardships, all the challenges will be so flooded with a joy that we've never even could believe you could experience that you will never want to come back to this place. And I just cannot wait to get to my homecoming party. And I hope you can't either. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, Help us to never be content with what this world has to offer. And I know through this last 15 months, we've all become a little more comfortable with our own little worlds. And we can see things are going the way they are around us. But it just feels so comfortable where we are. God, let us not be comfortable because we know it's not good. It's not good for us. It's not good for your kingdom. It's not good for the people around us. God, help us not to give up and to be content. Lord, I don't know what the church is going to look like when we come out of this. I don't know what this church is going to look like. I don't know what the churches in our country are going to look like, Lord, but I pray we would be a lot closer we would be maybe that that those who were not really would fall away and that we could become a group that is loving and authentic and tight so that the world would look at us and say something different about them there's something different about the way they love each other something different about the way they love their god lord would you help us me included. Help us to live as foreigners in this land. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon audio. For more resources or to connect with us, visit calvarygravenhurst.com.